wonderful Bible study, um, Sunday School Bible study from basically 8.45 to 9.45. And now we're entering this time of worship. And we want to thank all those who support us here at Olivet United Methodist Church by their prayers and their, their presence and certainly by their financial giving. As you uh, view your bulletins this morning, um, our opening hymn is all Hail the Power of Jesus' Name, hymn number 154 in the purple hymnals, purple hymnals, 154 verses 1 through 2, verses 4 and 6. And would you, our praise group, would they please come front and center and let us all stand as we sing forth this message of all hail the power of Jesus' name. Purple 154, please.
except for Chris. Chris, could you come forward and give us a little update on your wife, Katie? We've been keeping her in our thoughts and prayers. Well, welcome, Chris, from yeah. Legion Riders. You certainly welcome. You want to just really speak into that like it's a lollipop or a nice well, I just want to thank everyone for continuing your prayers and, and your care and your love. You're our family, and uh, it's wonderful to do that. She, in fact, is, your prayers are being answered. She's been getting blood transfusions, and when she gets those, she feels like she's ready to dance on the tables. singing a praise group here in a few weeks. Amen. Let's go to prayer. Father, this morning we just want to thank you for the praise report that Chris gave us about his wife Katie. And we thank you, Father, for her near-death experiences and just um, bringing her back from the brink. When man was saying there was no hope and God was interceding through his master physician of all, and touch this wonderful body. We thank you, Father, for her trust and her faith in Christ. We thank you last week for Chris and his daughter being in worship and for Chris being with us and giving us this report today. We also thank you, Father, for last week for those who attended um, Joyce Peters' birthday party and what a celebration of life that was. That You've touched her in so many ways and restored her health, and she's present with us this morning with her beloved daughter and son-in-law, Mike and Nona. And we, we thank you for the faithfulness in, in worship. Continue to bless Joyce Peters with many years of health of mind, body, soul, and spirit. We thank you for Paul Peterson, Lord. We thank you um, for his faithfulness and supporting the, all the United Methodist Church by such a distance. We thank you, Father, for others. We thank you for um, Janet's sister and brother-in-law being here in worship, and we thank you for their faithfulness in their, their church back in Wisconsin. We thank you for other members of our congregation today that are so faithful. We thank you for Ira and, and the Sunday school class. We, we thank you, O Lord, for Robin Child, Care, Nancy, and we thank you for the staff of Twin Cities House of Prayer, J-Hop, and their effectiveness and their financial support of all of the United Methodist Church. We thank you that you called us into a sense of stewardship, too. And as we view a scripture today, Luke chapter 24, verses 44 through 49, and those by way of television and radio that you can get out their Bibles and prepare by reading Luke chapter 24, 44 through 49. We thank you, Father, for those who need a real touch of your spirit. I, I pray for my daughter, Hope, as she's struggling again with the recurrent Philadelphia leukemia gene. We pray, Father, that donors would step forward for, for her blood transfusion and bone marrow and we pray for others, Father, that have been on our prayer concerns, too. We, 
We pray for the Reverend Wayne Swanson and his twins and Eli, who recently took his life. We just pray that you'd be with us, the Swanson family and in the United Methodist Church and say, grieve this tremendous loss. We come to you, Father, just asking for your transforming grace. This is just spoke to the followers on the road to Emmaus that you would speak to us on the roads of life that we have. We all walk those roads of Emmaus where we need a, a special favor and a touch and a, a healing from your hand, Lord. We thank you for Tina being with us, for Mike and Tina and their marriage and her faithfulness and, and treasurer. And we just thank you, Father, that she's with us and she's having a, a good day. And we pray that, that the good days would be more than the bad days. We pray for other members of our congregation that may have silent, silent needs and prayer requests. We thank you for our faithfulness of our organist, Clarice, and her family and her needs. And we pray a blessing upon our music. And we thank you for the restoration of our prayer praise group as they have come forward leading us in worship and how we missed, missed that praise. Because the Bible says that we enter into the presence of the Lord with praise and thanksgiving. Father, open our, our minds, our bodies, our souls, and our spirits to that attitude of praise and so that the attitude encourages our aptitude, which encourages our altitude, because we want to fly high as the eagles soar. We want to soar on wings of eagles this morning as we struggle with certain things in our lives and in the lives of those that are precious unto us. We pray all this asking and blessing on your scripture according to Luke chapter 24, 44 and following, as you taught us all to pray the same together, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. As I mentioned earlier, our scripture reading today is taken from Luke chapter 24, 44 through 49. As Mike comes and, and prepares to share his message, let us turn to that scripture. In our few Bibles, if you haven't, you can bring your own personal Bible with you. It's found on Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24, verses 44 to 49. It's dealing with a, an important resurrection appearance of Jesus and we have um, evidence of his um, sharing Christ. Reading now from Luke chapter 24, verses 44 through 49, page 90 and 91 of the New Testament here. May God bless the reading and the hearing of his word today. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you that everything written about me, Jesus, and the law of Moses, the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. 
And then Jesus opened, say it with me, opened, opened their minds to understand the scriptures. That was the first act that you and I need to incorporate when we read and study diligently our Bibles. We need to ask that Jesus would open, open our minds to understand the scriptures. And then Jesus said to them, Thus it is written that the Messiah is to suffer, and the Messiah is to rise from the dead on the third day. And then what would occur? And that repentance and forgiveness of sins is to be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things, and see, I am sending upon you what my Father promised. So stay here in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. May God bless the reading and the hearing of his word. Good morning, brothers and sisters. Good morning. In our first verse today, Jesus was reassuring the disciples that it was he that fulfilled God's purpose, despite his grotesque death. As part of this reminder, he spoke to the Old Testament prophecy that mentioned, mentioned a suffering and murdered Savior, the law of Moses, which was Isaiah 53, verse 7 and 8, and also in Psalms 16, verse 10. That's what Jesus was referred to. These two texts were scripture in the Pentateuch, so they were biblical, biblically the only writings of God. Please realize that suffering and death was always the work of the Messiah as proposed and purposed by God the Father. That suffering was absolutely necessary to complete the Lord's work of bringing us, me and you, back into the being child children of God. Not one particular Old Testament passage refers to all four aspects of Jesus' crucifixion, his grotesque death, entombment, and resurrection. However, one Old Testament scripture comes very close. Luke either alludes or quotes it in both of the books, Luke and Acts. The Old Testament verse I speak of right now is Isaiah chapter 53, verse 7 and 8. It reads, He was oppressed, and he was afflicted. He opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was led away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people. Verse 47 talks and refers to the news of forgiveness of sins beginning in Jerusalem and then traveling throughout the entire world. Prior to Jesus, the news and acknowledgement of God was concentrated specifically in Israel. After Christ, the news of God's love and personal relationship with us should and does spread throughout the entire world. That's exactly what the good news of Jesus Christ has done. It began in Jerusalem, and even to this day, it's still spreading throughout the world. In verse 48, Jesus tells his disciples that they were witnesses of these things. The Greek word used here for witnesses, materia. This word not only means the event is seen by someone, but also means that they share the event and what they witnessed to others. As Christians, we have that same exact responsibility 
to others, to teach and preach and show others what, how Christ lived and what he said. Christianity is not a spectator sport. It is not. We don't just simply accept Christ and sit around on our couch waiting to get to heaven. That is not how it works. What is your responsibility and my responsibility? Every responsibility for every person on the earth is to not only read the words of Christ and about his life, but to model them for others. Think about it. You're sharing Christ with anyone. It could be a mechanic two years ago or a school child ten years ago. What you share with them could get them there so they can join you in heaven. It is our responsibility and duty to live by Jesus' words in life, by example, and spread the news in life of Jesus Christ. We need to share his words, works, and actions to others, or at least display them for others' sake. Because we are literally the hands and feet of Jesus Christ here on earth. If we just sit around and don't show Christ what he said and did with our words and actions, others won't witness Jesus Christ and his power. When you show someone Jesus Christ and his power, you are showing them your Savior. You're showing them your ticket to heaven. You want company them. So do I. Christ isn't just a to and for us Savior. He was a through us Savior. Don't keep it to yourself. Don't keep it secret. Always remember, thanks to the Holy Spirit, He works through us. Not just to us, through us. For the sake of others. Amen and hallelujah. Because we can stay in the Spirit He died, died to provide us with, we are never alone. Feel alone sometimes. I know I do. Sit, sit down in a chair, maybe eat something or watch TV. You're not alone. You have the living, loving Spirit of God within you. Keep that in mind when you're feeling alone. You're not alone. He fights with us. We aren't alone. We have the very power and love of our loving Father God within us to touch other people within our grasp. Our last verse, he finally told the disciples to wait in Jerusalem until they received God's gift for them and for us as well. The Lord's journey on earth will be completed with the giving of the word and the Holy Spirit to every tongue and nation on earth. Thank you. Have a blessed day. Amen. Thank you, Mike. Any of you that are target shoppers, you want to Put a good word in for Mike. He certainly deserves a raise. Uh, not too many people that go to Target that didn't. Well, once they come to his till or so, you know he's a believer in Christ. We had a wonderful time at Joyce Peters' um, um, get together last Sunday. Wow, you know, great time, great time for those birthdays. We find in our scripture today um, many truths and we observe firstly that in these verses that Mike elaborated on so distinctly the gift which our Lord bestowed 
on his disciples, such as you and I, immediately before he left the world. Now keep in mind there was his um, death, burial, resurrection, and anticipated ascension in heaven. And here we see that immediately he bestows a certain gift. And we read that he opened their understanding that they might understand the scriptures. I have oftentimes come to the altar before I come to the pulpit and I ask the Lord to open my understanding. God, give me a greater depth of wisdom than any commentary I may have looked at, any words of wisdom that I may have looked at before I, in preparation to get to the pulpit. But there was this spiritual moment that, that happened where we read that he opened. He opened their understanding that they might understand the scriptures. Can you repeat that with me? It kind of in a prayer. Open my mind to an understanding that I may understand the scriptures. So we must not misapprehend these words. We are not to suppose that the disciples knew nothing about the Old Testament up to this time, and that the Bible is, is, a, is kind of a closed book which no ordinary person can expect to comprehend. But we are to simply to understand that Jesus showed his disciples, those who wanted to go deeper from the milk to the real meat of the word, that the Bible is a book which no ordinary person can expect to comprehend. If you come to the Bible with a natural understanding and a natural thirst, you got to go deeper. We're simply to understand that Jesus showed you and I as he showed those early disciples that there's a comprehension that we need to um, read in and, and dig deeper. We are simply to understand that Jesus showed his disciples that the full meaning of many passages which had hitherto been hid, hid from their eyes. And above all, Jesus began to show the, the true interpretation of many prophetic passages concerning the Messiah. And he went back to Moses and he opened the scriptures in the depth of the understanding of what it actually occurred that holy week. We all of us, from pulpit to pew, we need to um, need a, a light enlightenment of our understanding. Enlighten me, O Lord. The natural, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, the Bible says that the natural person the natural person receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto them. Neither can they know them, because they are spiritually, spiritually discerned. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. We all have pride. We all have a sense of prejudice and love of the world that, that blinds our intellects. And this pride and this, this prejudice and this love of the world that blinds our intellects 
and, and throws a veil over the eyes of our minds in the reading of the scriptures. Because the Bible says that the God of this world, Satan, Lucifer, the God of this world, wants to blind us to the truth of God. And he's not so concerned about you and I, but he's concerned about our faith. What we put our time into, our trust into. We see the words, we see the words, but we do not thoroughly understand them until we are taught them from above, from the Holy Spirit. Jesus, that desires to read in the person, the one that desires to read the Bible with, with a sense of prophet, must first ask the Lord Jesus to open the eyes of their understanding by the Holy Ghost, by the Holy Spirit. Human, human commentaries are very useful in their way and to study them and study other books that, that lead and en enrich and enhance our understanding of verses and chapters. But the, the help of good and learned people is, is not to be despised, but there is no commentary to be compared with the teachings of Christ. A very humble and a very prayerful spirit will find a thousand things in the Bible which the proud and the self-conceited student will utterly fail, will fail to discern. Let us observe secondly in these verses the remarkable manner, the remarkable manner in which the Lord Jesus Christ speaks of, of his own death of his own death to, on the cross. Jesus does not speak about his death as a misfortune, a misfortune, or as a thing to be lamented, but, but as a necessity. He says, it behooved the Christ, the Messiah, to suffer and to rise again on the third day. The death of Jesus Christ was necessary for your salvation and my salvation, for the situations in life that we encounter. His flesh and his blood offered in sacrifice on the cross were the life of the world, according to John chapter 6, verse 51. The life of the world. And without the death of Jesus Christ, as far as we can see, God's law, God's laws never could have been satisfied. Sin could never have been pardoned. Humans could have never been justified before God. And God could never have shown mercy, mercy to us. The sense and the cross of Christ was the solution of, of a mighty, mighty difficulty. It untied this vast knot. It enabled God to be just and yet to be the justifier of the ungodly, according to Romans chapter 3, 26. He was to be just, but he was also to be the justifier. It enabled humans to draw near to God with, with boldness and to feel that though we being sinners, we might have hope might have hope. Christ by suffering as a substitute, a substitute in our stead, 
the just for the unjust, has made a way by which we can draw near to God. We may um, freely acknowledge that in ourselves we are guilty and we deserve death, but we can boldly plead that one has died for us and that for Jesus' sake, believing on Jesus, we claim life and acquittal. His body was broken for us, his blood was shed for us. And let us ever glory, if we glory in anything else, let us glory in the cross of Christ. Let us regard it as the source of all our hopes and, and all of the foundations of all of our peace. Ignorance and unbelief may see nothing in the sufferings of Calvary, but, but the cruel martyrdom of an innocent person an innocent person, Jesus. In faith, faith will look far deeper. Faith will see in the death of Jesus the payment of human sin, the enormous debt to God, and the complete salvation of all who believe and adhere and talk to talk and walk to walk. And let us observe thirdly in these verses what were the first truths? What were the first truths which the Lord Jesus bade his disciples to preach after he left the world? We read these two words, repentance and remission of sins. We read that repentance and remission of sins were to be preached in Jesus' name among all nations. Repentance and remission of sins are the first things that we ought to be pressed on under attention of every man, woman, and child throughout the world. All ought to be told the necessity of repentance. All are by nature desperately wicked. Without repentance and conversion, none can enter into the kingdom of God. All ought to be told of God's readiness to forgive every time one believes in Christ. Those are, there are those by way of television and those by way of radio and other means of communication that need to understand that the steps to peace with God, the ABCs, that all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, that we need to be, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and then we need to see, confess Him as our Lord and Savior. Without repentance and without conversion, none can enter into the kingdom of God. All ought to be told is God's readiness to forgive everyone who believes on Christ. All of us are by nature guilty. We are all fallen in the things that we've done and the things that we've left undone, the things that we've committed and the things that we've omitted to do in life. All are by nature guilty and condemned. But anyone may obtain by faith in Jesus Christ free and full and immediate pardon. All, not least, ought to be continually reminded. Continually reminded that repentance and remission of sins are inseparably linked together. Not that our repentance can purchase our pardon, because pardon is a free gift of God to the believer in Christ. 
But still it remains true that a person impenitent is a person that's unforgiven. One that desires to be a true Christian must be experientially acquainted with repentance and remission of sins. These are the principal things that are true in saving religion. To belong to a pure church, to hear the gospel, the good news, and to receive the sacraments are, are great privileges. Great privileges of Christian. But are we converted? Are we converted? Are we justified? If not, we are dead before God. But happy is the Christian who keeps these two points continually before them. That repentance and remission of sins are not elementary truths. Truths that are very prominent, that are melt before babes. That the highest standard of sanctity is nothing more than a continual growth in the practical knowledge of these two points. And the brightest, the brightest of saints is a person who has the most heart-searching sense of their own sinfulness and the lives and the liveliest sense of their complete acceptance in Christ. And let us observe fourthly what what was the first the first place of which disciples were to begin preaching. They were to begin preaching at Jerusalem. Now this is a, a striking fact and one full of in, instruction because it teaches us that none, none are to be reckoned too wicked for salvation to be offered to them. And that no degree of spiritual disease is beyond the reach of the gospel remedy. Jerusalem, Jerusalem was the wickedest city on earth when our Lord left the world. It was Jerusalem. It was Jerusalem, the city which had stoned the prophets, stoned the prophets and, and killed those whom God sent to call it to repentance. It was this city, Jerusalem, that was full of pride and was full of unbelief and self-righteousness and, and despite the hardness of their heart, it was a city, Jerusalem, which had crowned all of its transgressions by crucifying, crucifying the Lord of glory. And yet, Jerusalem was a place at which the first proclamation of repentance and pardon was to be made, and the command of Christ was plain. Begin at Jerusalem. Begin at your doorstep. Begin where you are. And we see in these wondrous words the, the length and the breadth and the depth and the height of Christ's compassion towards sinners. We must never despair of anyone, anyone being saved, however bad and depraved they may have become. We must open the door of repentance to the chiefest of sinners. We must not be afraid to invite the worst of us to, to repent, to believe, and live. It is the glory of the great physician, the great physician that Jesus can heal 
can heal incurable cases. The things that seem impossible to us are possible with Christ. And let us observe in closing this morning, lastly, that the peculiar position which believers are in, and especially those who truly share Christ and ministers in the pulpit and ministers in the pews are, are meant to occupy. We are meant to occupy until Christ comes again in this world. And our Lord defines it as an expressive word and he says, ye are my witnesses. If we are true disciples of Christ, we must bear a continual testimony in the midst of, of a very evil world. We must testify to the truth of our, our Master's gospel, the graciousness of our Master's heart and the genuineness of his teachings, the happiness of our Master's service, the, the excellence of our Master's rules and walk in life, and the enormous danger, yes, I say danger and wickedness, of the ways of the world. Such a testimony will doubtless bring down upon us the displeasure of many humans. The world will hate us as it did our Master because, because we testify of it that its works are evil, according to John chapter 7, 7. We call the world for what it is. Such testimony will doubtless be believed by by few comparatively and will be thought of by many offensively and as an extreme but the duty of a witness is to bear the truth to bear their testimony whether they believe it or not if we bear faithful testimony we have done our duty although like Noah and Elijah and Jeremiah we stand and we may stand almost alone. What do we know of this witnessing character? What kind of testimony do we bear? What evidence? What evidence do we give that we are disciples of a crucified Savior? Is there enough evidence to convict you of being a Christian? Like Jesus, are we, according to John chapter 18, verse 14, are we like Jesus, not of this world? We are in the world, but not of this world. What marks do we show of belonging to Jesus, who said, I came that I should bear witness unto the truth? John chapter 18, verse 7. But happy, happy is the one who can give a satisfactory answer to these questions, and whose life declares plainly that they seek a country they seek a home called heaven. Father, this morning, with every head bowed and every eye closed, and those by way of television, radio, and YouTube, and Facebook, we, we need to ask ourselves, what, what, we, what do we know of this witnessing character of Christ? What, what kind of testimony do we bear? What, what evidence do we give that we are disciples of a crucified Savior? And, and like Jesus, our we not of this world. We're in the world, but not of the world. 
And what marks do we show of belonging to Jesus who said, I came that I should bear witness unto the truth. Jesus was the truth, the life, and the way. And no one cometh unto the Father except through the Son. And happy is the one who gives a satisfactory answer to these questions and whose lives declare plainly that they seek a country, a home where there's no more sickness, no more suffering, and no more death. Eternally with the Savior. With every head bowed and every eye closed, would you say this prayer with me? Dear Jesus, help me, O oh Lord, to be a witness, to give evidence in what I say and what I do for Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. As we turn to our operatory prayer, would you read this prayer together with me? Ever-present God, who speaks in thunder and earthquakes, and in the softest voice, whisper, we long to hear your voice over all the noise of the world this day. In a world so divided and polarized, we need to hear not only the voice of the shepherd, but the cries of other sheep who are being marginalized, forgotten, and abandoned. May the gifts we offer today be our response to hearing the one who speaks in the language of love and compassion. In his holy name, amen. You may remain seated as we turn to our offertory hymn, Because He Lives, Purple, number 364. And after that hymn is completed, we'll ask you to stand for the doxology.
remember also the pastor, Reverend George Rose, in our thoughts and prayers as he's experiencing um, a ball obstruction. Just heard from him, and he had part of his stomach and cancerous tumors removed. We pray for Katie other members of our congregation that need your mighty hand. We pray for hope, our daughter hope. We seek a mighty God of resurrection power. We so desperately need the hallelujah this morning and every morning. We, we have lived with death for so long. We have been trapped in our tombs so long. We could not be more anxious to hear the report from Mary that we have seen the Lord and the Lord's healing hand. We we know in our hearts that we have seen you in the generosity of the hearts of people that give and keep us in their thoughts and prayer. And we, we pray as we give back to you this day our time and our talents and our treasures, may we do so as those that are convinced that light will always wash away darkness and that light will always defeat death. In the name of our risen Savior, we pray. That's correct. It's in that bulletin there. Um, there will be a memorial service from Margot Rising on Saturday, Saturday, May 1st, from 1 to 4 at the Community Worship Center in Sandstone, Minnesota. And if you have any questions, you can call Marsha. Services and the go. Peace and love.